Hello and welcome to Connected, episode 353. It's made possible this week by our sponsors, Squarespace, Smile, and Hello. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined by Mr. Mike Hurley. Ahoy there. Greetings and salutations. Football is either coming home or it isn't coming home, apparently. I'm, I've decided to uh, completely timestamp this episode. We're recording before the England football game today, where if England does win, which I don't know, honestly, I don't know when it starts. I think it starts as soon as we're done. Uh, then it will be England versus Italy in the final, which I'm sure will be fun for everyone. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's not coming home. It's not going home, Mike. Don't worry about this it. This is funny. You know, I knew he was going to do this, right? Like, Fed- me and Federico don't care about <laughs> football, basically, any sport at all. But I don't, honestly, so like, you know, I, I'm not that keen about uh, England going to the final. Sorry, English people. Because Federico will become insufferable, even though he doesn't care. And I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> It's the national rivalry that 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 matters. That that's all. It, it's not about the sport. Is there a national rivalry between Italy and England? Oh, well, there will be. There if will there's be a final. Right. There will be one. So yes. it would be England or Denmark will be joining you in the final. That's a song like it's coming home. What 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 is it like? Yeah. You know? Yeah, that will go. Yeah. Football's coming home. We're also joined by Federico Vitici. <laughs> Ciao. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> the problem is, I think we'll have two weeks of this if it does happen. So mm-hmm. is football coming home for you at any point, Stephen? I mean, college football, American right. football starts pretty mm-hmm. soon, but I'm pretty soon, like two months. Follow up. I want to talk about Apple Watch backups. Okay. Remember last time I went through the whole song and dance about going from a Series 6 back to a Series 5 after my Series 6 had a little accident. And I had asked on the show, or complained on the show, probably more likely, how do you get rid of old Apple Watch backups? Turns out it's in settings, iPhone storage, And once that screen loads, like, why does that screen take so long? It takes a long time. Five minutes later. It takes such a long time. A long time. Very long time. And you scroll down to watch, and then there's a list of them. Uh, A couple things here. One, it's only a couple of hundred kilobytes in size each. They're not taking any space. But the settings app is so janky. You swipe to delete one of these, and instead of leaving you on the watch screen of the list of backups, it kicks you back out to the iPhone storage page, the page above it. So it'd be like if you were in mail and you were just in one inbox and deleting messages, but every time it took you back to the screen where you could select your inbox. I don't know why this is the case. After you delete several of them, the settings app just crashes. So I gave up and just moved on with my life. I don't know why you cared about this really in the first place. Because it's like it's like a weight around my shoulders now. Now I know they're there. Do you care about old iPhone backups? What do you mean? Like, oh, like an iCloud? And st- yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't hold those or keep those around. I mm-hmm. delete those. Yeah. yeah. I don't like seeing them. It's more of a, like, a, like a thing that... I, <laughs> It's like digital craft that I don't want to have just laying around in my account. I don't know why I do it, but regularly I go in there and I delete those. Um, Now that you told me about the Apple Watch backups, I think I'm going to do that as well because now it bothers me. Like I didn't know that before, but now that I know, it bothers me. Oh, now I need to go see. Yep, I've got a screenshot uh, in the show notes. You can see all of mine. 
I actually can't view this image. Yeah, I fixed it. Clicking. Okay, I fixed it. All right. <clears throat> oh, that's a lot of wow. See, it, 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 that's a lot of backups. Yeah. yeah. Okay, you got a lot going on in there. What are you doing? Wait for, gotta wait a while because the screen's loading for me. Why so is that screen so it. slow? If you know, like, actually know why the iPhone storage or iPad storage screen takes so dang long, like, I, I would love to know. Like, I thought APFS was supposed to be fast and magical. Like, why can't you just keep this in the background at all times? Yeah, like I would like to believe that the system is always aware of how much storage is being right. used. <laughs> I mean, this is the same company that ships Finder, which disagrees with itself about how much free space you have. So hard to say. Who put this scribble thing in the notes? I did. I don't know. Okay, do you want to talk about it then? Scribble for the iPad now supports multiple new languages, which is cool. Okay. Uh, including French. Well, it's it supported multiple languages before, but not this not these languages. Yes, uh, improving Apple Pencil functionality. Mac rumor says for those who write in French, German, Italian, Portuguese, and Spanish. Yeah, it was limited to English and Chinese before, I believe. I think that's right. So nice. Uh, I never, well, I never used the pencil to handwrite. Period. But also, I never write in Italian let alone with a pencil on my iPad. So great news. I kind of want to know how well it works. Um, if you're writing one of these languages, I'm curious about the accuracy of it. Um, it's pretty good, I think, in English. I want to see, like, the they're doing this on device, I believe, right? They must have been collecting data um, over the past few years, really, uh, from international users. And now they are doing this on device with the, with the Scribble technology. So if you have been using these on your iPad with one of these languages, let us know how well it works and if you can compare between English and your language of choice here, even better. Um, I guess I'll have to try this in Italian at some point um, just to see, just out of curiosity. You actually, I mean, there's no point in me doing it. It's not going to get me very far. <laughs> Federico, when you write like a note, like maybe like in the house, right? Like you leave a note for Sylvia... Ooh, good question. Hey, I'm taking the dogs out. I'll be back in half an hour. That never happens, but okay. Do you write that in English or Italian? In Italian. Okay. Why would I? I don't. Okay. Well, maybe not. Like, do do you write ever handwrite in English? Uh, No. no, Do you dream in English? Uh, I have. I have dreamed in English, yes. Uh, that happened a couple of times. Usually when I was not in Italy, like I remember having dreams in English at WWDC, for example, which is a, it's a really weird thing. But mostly I dream in, like I have been dreaming for the past couple of years in, in, in Italian. Um, I think it only happened on a couple of occasions that I was having like a dream in English. Like I think at some point at WWDC, uh, I had this dream that was before I interviewed Craig, and so I think I had a dream about the whole thing. It was more like a nightmare, like uh, that it went horribly, and I didn't know what to ask, I didn't know what mm. to say, and I got emotional during the interview. It sucked. It was horrible. But that was in English. Yeah. That sounds sad. That's <laughs> a sad dream. It's a pretty sad dream. Yeah, it was very sad. Why, why would you ask this question? Yeah, I don't know. Mike, you have some follow-up about iPad multitasking. Yeah, so I was t- talking about this a bunch last week, and I discovered something today. Um, I'm sure Federico knows this; like, I'm not—it's not a new discovery, but I hadn't come across it yet. Which is, 
if you on with the new multitasking, you have the little three dot indicator. Does that have a name, Federico, or have you named it? I have been calling it the multitasking indicator. Okay, so we'll call it that. So the little three dot multitasking indicator that's at the top of the screen, which you can now click and say, like, uh, go over here, go over there. You can pull this down either when an app is in full screen or when you have two on, on like a one side by side and it slides the app out to the side and lets you pick another one from the home screen. So there's actually a touch gesture which does the same thing as the keyboard shortcuts do. And I, I don't know why, but I didn't know that this existed. And I like that it exists because there was something where I was still frustrated that if I was using touch, I felt like I still had to do the whole like drag up from the dock and press and swipe up to the side thing. So I like that that's there. I didn't know it was there. Maybe other people knew it was there for some how it got lost on me. So I like the gesture a lot. And, and maybe like it makes the change in keyboard shortcuts make more sense because it unifies them, right? Because when there's one app open, you can slide the one app off. It basically slides the app off to the side and you pick another. But when you have two, you have to choose between one of them. But I still want them to add the additional keyboard shortcuts back that I was talking about last time, where you can just with keyboard say, change the left one, change the right one, rather than just change the active one. Is this, is this, is this touch thing been there the whole time? I think so. I should have mentioned okay. this uh, that you can also use this as a as a uh, multi-touch gesture to operate multitasking. I I forgot about this because I never do it because yeah. I'm mostly using the the keyboard um, these days, especially because I'm I'm writing and mm -hmm. so I'm not really using the iPad Pro in touch mode a lot of the time. Uh, but yeah, this is nice to have. I think it's. I still wish that there was a better way. Uh, I'm struggling with the keyboard stuff because I really think it's backwards. We talked about this last week, the way that you need to um, uh, hide the app on screen and then search. Uh, and I kind of wish that it was the other way around, that I could just search and put one of the results in split view or slide over. Um, so I'm kind of uh, still adjusting to that. We'll see, we'll see how that goes in the betas. But yeah, this is nice. Yeah, I'm uh, uh, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty into that one feature, but I still want the keyboard shortcuts. Uh, I discovered this today while I was using uh, Google Docs for preparing for the show, and I was just once again struck by the frustration that Google has still not implemented multiple windows and Docs and Sheets. I just can't believe it at this point. It's madness to me. It just feels like the perfect kind of application to be able to open multiple instances of. I cannot fathom... I mean, they also haven't, and I don't think they ever will at this point, uh, fully support the trackpad text selection and stuff. And it, But I figured that would be more complicated than the multiple window thing, honestly. But, like, Google Docs is just sad on iPad. It's just a sad experience. Yeah, It's just sad. Somebody needs to, to do what they're doing, and nobody is. Before everybody tries to tell me the thing that they're using... There's nothing that has as reliable uh, an instant collaborative uh, text editing as Google Docs does. And it is important for us to have that. Because while we may prepare solo, like when we actually come to the show, we have the documents in front of us and things move around a lot. Um, and so the, the immediacy is important. And it's just a shame that, that, that Google is still the best at that part, but yet they seem to not really care about the app yeah. itself. Yeah. Rest in peace, Google Docs, Sheets, iOS team. 
I just assume they're all gone, that no one is working on Ah, uh, you think they all got fired? I don't think there's anyone attending the store, mm-hmm. man. I mean, what are you mm-hmm. doing? It's been... I mean, how long, <laughs> how long has this stuff been around that they haven't supported it? Yep. Anyways, let's take a break. This episode of Connected is brought to you by Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform to build your online presence and run your business. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, they have everything you need. Squarespace combines cutting-edge design and world-class engineering, making it easier than ever to establish your home online and to make your ideas a reality. Squarespace has everything you need to create a beautiful and modern website. You start with a professionally designed template and then use drag and drop to make it your own. You can customize the look and feel, the settings, the products you have on sale, everything with just a few clicks. And all Squarespace websites are optimized for mobile. Your content automatically adjusts so it will look great on any device. You get free unlimited hosting, top-of-the-line security, and dependable resources to help you succeed. There's nothing to patch or upgrade. Their award-winning customer support is available 24-7. And they have all the tools you need for domain names, SEO, email marketing, and more. You can use Squarespace to turn your big idea into a new website, publish a blog, have a podcast, show off your work, promote your business, announce events, almost anything. I love Squarespace. I use it with a bunch of freelance clients. And one thing that I think goes underreported when we talk about Squarespace is how easy it is to manage uh, security. So you have SSL certification stuff that is just super easy to do. Some of these tools are confusing, especially to people who aren't familiar with them. With Squarespace, you just click a couple of buttons and your site is secure. Head to squarespace.com connected for a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code connected to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash connected and the code connected to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for the support of Connected and all of Relay FM. We're happy now to be joined uh, on Connected by Kickstarter Maven, Big Money Stephen Hackett. Hi, Big Money. I'm sorry. Can we do? Are we allowed to do a podcast with you? I um, know, but Mr. Success should we over here. Check in with your assistant, or like, how how does it go now? Uh, do we have permit? You know, people just don't give me the money, right? I've got to print and ship a bunch of stuff. <laughs> that is actually a point that I wanted to make. If you didn't, and it's one of the things that's always given me pause when it comes to doing kickstarters and stuff, is it's really easy to look at the amount of money raised and be like, oh man, Stephen's going to have $26,000 in his pocket. And it just, it does not work yeah. like that, right? Nope. You know, like at all, it <laughs> does not work like that. Uh, but you have been incredibly successful. So congratulations to you. What are you like 600% funded at this point? Uh, let me look. Uh, getting there, yeah. Uh, 608 backers, raised 26 grand so far. Yeah, it's been a wild few days. Mm-hmm. It launched on July 1st. We can talk about that launch if you want to. Yeah, we definitely should. <laughs> I want to talk about that part. <laughs> but yeah, it's been really cool to see people excited about this. So if you didn't hear us speak about this before, you haven't seen it, there's a link in the show notes. I would love it if you'd go at least go check it out. Watch the video. I think it'll be for people who like podcasts like Connected. But it is a uh, a wall calendar like you hang in your kitchen or your office and write dates on. But instead of 
you know, boring holidays. It has cool Apple hardware holidays, like when a bunch of stuff was announced and shipped and uh, got a bunch of product photography that I'm, I'm, it's all my own photography that I've done. And you can get the calendar. There's some prints of the same images. You can do, uh, you can just get them as wallpapers, lots of options, lots of tiers over on the Kickstarter page. Can you, can we please talk, can we please talk about how you launched this campaign because you've been working on it right we spoke about it and we encouraged you to do it and so you you ended up going away and like looking at how you would manufacture it and like working out the design and coming up with the features and you know the more you went down that like the more of a no-brainer it seemed and one of the things i was really pushing you on was sooner rather than later right because you've got to make sure people can get it before the year's over yeah i basically just came into my office for, I don't know, like a week and a half or two weeks and just made a calendar and then came mm-hmm. out like a bunch of stuff, other things didn't get done so I could get this uh, far enough along to launch. Talk through, tell people how you get a Kickstarter campaign uh, ready, like from a technical perspective, and then talk about what, what you did. It's pretty easy to get started with Kickstarter. You know, once you have your idea and you have all your pricing. So I have this giant Google spreadsheet with printing in particular, the cost vary depending on how many you print. So the spreadsheet is ginormous for me to figure all that out and figure out, you know, what makes money, how much money it makes, you know, that sort of thing, and how much shipping needs to cost. So you have to get all of that stuff, right? Which, of course, varies from Kickstarter to Kickstarter. I'm shipping printed materials. If you're shipping like a pen, like our, our friends at Studio Neat often do, it's a different thing. And I should thank Studio Neat and Brad Dowdy uh, talking to those folks answering what are probably some dumb questions, but it was very helpful to talk to people who had done, you know, several successful Kickstarters. Mm-hmm. So a- another thank you to them for being so helpful. But once you have all of that data, you go into Kickstarter and you set up your items and you set up your tiers. You know, they suggest to do uh, a video, which uh, I shot, and all of your language. You got to have all like the components of your page, you know, ready to go. And you plug all that into Kickstarter's website. It's all very well laid out. And I really got to hand it to them. Their back end is fantastic. Like the dashboard I can see uh, reporting on how the campaign is going. Also fantastic. Really easy to use. Lots of information. And you do all of that. And then you submit to Kickstarter for approval. Because they have content rules. And they want to make sure that, I guess, that you are in those content rules. That you're not doing something that is scammy. Like... Totally get it. Totally approve of that. So I hit the button to submit. And the the submit button said it may take, I forget what it was, like three up to three business days or something, some amount of time. So I figured I'll hit the submit button and then I'll launch it next week, which would have been the beginning of, of this week. But it was approved basically instantly. And I was like, oh, well, that's cool. And so I said, hey, you can, you know, agree to the final terms, right? Because they take a fee and, you know, there's terms terms of service and stuff. So I agreed to all that. And what I thought was going to happen was, oh, you can schedule the launch. And apparently that is a button, but it's like further down the page. And basically... I launched it immediately on... Uh, yeah, you didn't read properly. Yeah. You didn't read properly, right? You, you need to to admit this part. And it was funny for me because I don't know why, but I, it's, it's great. I'm a, I have a, a contributor to the campaign. I think it was you wanted to just share it with me in advance. Yes. 
But that means like I get all of your statistics and I can log into your dashboard and yeah, all that. Yeah, you, yeah, you are a, uh, a collaborator. You're VP of calendars. Thank you so much. Mm. Um, You're welcome. And so I got an email that said, congratulations, your campaign has launched. I was like, whoa, what's oh, no. he doing? Because it was super late in the evening. For me, it was like one in the morning or something. Yeah, it was pretty late here <laughs> on, I guess, last Thursday, uh-huh. which is like not a good time to launch things. Like if you pay attention to what most of us do, we generally launch 10 or 11 a.m. Eastern because you kind of hit the West Coast as they're waking up, but it's not nighttime in Europe. Yeah, you, you get a good swath. I'm sorry, right? Asia. There's no good time to reach you. <laughs> it's impossible. Well, there is, there is, but it's that's time for Asia. <laughs> like it's bad but, for yeah, everybody else. But it's else. bad for everybody it else. tends to be where we live. And I was like, oh crap. And so I just, it was out there, right? I didn't want it to sit there with no attention because I wanted it to like have some uptick right from the start. And so I just tweeted, hey, I'm going to blog about this tomorrow, but it's live. And it got retweeted by a bunch of our friends. A bunch of people started ordering it. And I hit the goal in about an hour, which was very exciting. And it continues to climb. And it's been a, a, a fun, wild ride ever since. I want to, there's a terrible website. It's called ClickTrack. <laughs> a kick, kick track, I think it kick is. Track. Kick track with a Q. Kick track. Uh, kick kick track. track. And it is a Kickstarter tracking thing, and it's so bad, right? Like it's it's it gets people so excited, and it but it really is just a terrible thing because it tries to do some trend analysis, and it's basically saying if you hit at like the if you continued on the same trend that you'd have from the start where you'd be, and it projects that you will meet one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars right now. Uh, by the end of your campaign. But what this always ignores is like for in most pretty much every single Kickstarter campaign except the ones that do like the biggest numbers ever. You, the interest calms down in the middle until the end. So like yeah. the, the trend is just they, they just shouldn't do this part. I think it, it like a lot of people find these tools and they're like, "Oh my god, I'm going to make all the money in the world." But like it's just it's just not how this stuff works, but Hey, if you make $116,000 in revenue at 2,318% of your goal, that'd be great for you. It would be great. great. Uh, I would not ship those myself at that point. (laughs) Yeah, you are planning to do the shipping yourself, right? Like every calendar will touch Stephen Hackett's hands. Or, you know, someone who I'm friends with in Memphis who I bribe with pizza or something. Yeah, my plan is to do the fulfillment myself. uh, Both of the printers, so it's a different printer for the calendar and the prints, they're both local, and that was important to me. Uh, I will say on more power users this coming Sunday, I'm going to talk. I've we already recorded it. I talk a lot about the production side of it, so I don't want to get into that mm-hmm. here. But I will say that having it printed locally was important to me, and thankfully we have a lot of great companies here that do that because FedEx is here at the Memphis airport. You know, if you buy something and it usually comes through Memphis. And that means that a lot of printing companies have print shops here because they can print stuff for their customers and ship it really easily. And so uh, working with a couple of local companies to get it uh, get it made and su- super excited about that. And, you know, I'll just go get them in my truck and we'll bring them back here and we'll start shipping them out at some point. It's super good. How do people get it? Do you have like which is in the link in the show notes, right? There isn't like a, a good yeah. URL for it, is there? No, there's not. But if you go, or if you go to the top of, if you go to five twelve pixels, there's a banner at the top of the page. Ooh, you fancy, can do that too. Okay. That in Safari fifteen because Safari fifteen is bad. It makes the whole UI bright orange. 
It's very fun. Uh, but yeah, I'm really excited about it. Thank you for those who have backed it. Uh, we would uh, love to see more people do it. So, you know, go buy some calendars. You can also go to applehardwarecalendar.com. Wow. Okay. Which I'm registering right now, which will be set up by, by the time. Or, Stephen, you can get it if you want, or otherwise I, I have it in my cart. Yeah, just do it. Do it. You've already said it, so you got to do it. Applehardwarecalendar.com is where you can go uh, to, to back Stephen's Kickstarter campaign. There you go. Thank you. That's good. Domains are good. They are good. I'm letting some go. Some ones of old jokes on the show. I'm not going to say which ones because then someone will get up. <laughs> so now it's up to everyone to go and find every single Just try, try all the URLs yeah. we've ever bought on the and show. maybe you'll be able to get a, a great domain of your own. Maybe. What is this ceramic Apple Watch thing? I assume, Stephen, you found this because it's some kind of like uh, prototype thing. So I know that you probably keep all these in your, uh, what is it? Your Devon Think. I think it's just looking for a stronger material for its next next Apple Watch, so that it doesn't smash it <laughs> against rocks in the waterfall. He, he Google's what is strongest material? What is, my Apple Watch keeps right. breaking. Yeah, I just I, I brought this uh, up because I think often we talk about like, oh, they're putting the finishing touches on the the new Apple Silicon MacBook Pro that we're going to see in a couple months. And so what the story is is that the ceramic Apple Watch edition which first came out in 2016 as a Series 2, and then it went away, and then it came back. They just kind of sometimes make ceramic Apple Watches, is that it uh, dated back to 2014. So sort of the original version of the Apple Watch, there was a ceramic version floating around as a prototype. And uh, and so, yeah, it's just it's kind of cool to see prototype hardware anyways. And like if you look at the back of it, this is called... Uh, 88XX Bane. Like, that is some some text on the back of it. I don't know what that means. You would but buy the Apple Watch. Like, like, like the Batman? Yeah, that's what I'm doing. The Apple Watch buys... I don't know. Oh, there's also some lorem ipsum text, <laughs> which is... Is there? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. lorem ipsum? Dolo? Oh, my God. That's incredible. Lorem ipsum dolo. Iam grazie. Iam grazie. That's incredible. They, wow. Why would they not know what was... <laughs> yeah, that's so weird to lorem ipsum it. I love it. I love it. They're using lorem ipsum in the back of a prototype of an Apple Watch. That's perfect. Why Bane? Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, Bane, I don't, I don't understand. You can also go to 512pixels.net slash calendar now. I fixed that. Okay, AppleHardwayCalendar.com is a better better URL. So this is the Bane Watch. Yeah, the Bane it's Watch. It's pretty awesome. Have you seen the the app on the Bane Watch, Grape Cal? Which it's something that I want. Like, what's a Grape Cal? Like, if you work in a vineyard, you have a Grape Cal, like with a schedule. Like, what's a Grape Cal? <laughs> grape Cal. It's Grape Calculating. I also like the giant ba- battery indicator at the top. <laughs> I told you how much of a problem that was. <laughs> 52%. <in> the original <laughs> one. <laughs> oh no, 64%. What is the 52? I'm not sure. That's how many grapes they've calculated. That's. <laughs> I don't know. The, the UI is a mess. Uh, I also like how destroyed it is too, right? Like it's absolutely ruined, this thing. I- I'm fascinated by this entire niche, like this subculture of people amassing these Apple Apple prototypes. I believe one of the most popular um, 
people that do this is an Italian person. Hmm. Uh, and they have this incredible collection of Apple prototypes. I'm sure someone will find the Twitter account I'm, I'm thinking of. And they post pictures of all kinds of Apple prototypes, including like minor things like cables that were never released or USB adapters or colors that were never shipped. How do people get these things? I don't know. I don't know. I think there's like there's like an aftermarket. They must come from China, right? Where they actually get produced as what's the proper terminology? Um, EVT uh, devices, like the engineering mm-hmm. testing prototypes. It would surprise me if prototypes weren't made Apple Park. Maybe they are now. Right. Maybe. If you, I mean, I follow several of these accounts, including this one that shared this is Dongle Book Pro on Great Twitter account on Twitter. Uh, some you know a lot of it is older stuff, but I'm sure at some point you've got to do it in the manufacturing plant to make sure that the machines are all like ready yeah. to go. I don't know. It is very fascinating to me. But this is, I mean, like this does not look like that kind of prototype, right? Like that, I know what you're talking about. Like at a certain point, you have to make sure the machines that we think that can make these things can actually make these things. But at that point, they would surely have a lot of this stuff nailed down, right? Like what would be printed? Because plus, part of the prototype, you need to make sure that it's, the print's going to look right. You know, like what you get put mm-hmm. on the back. Mm-hmm. It is kind of fascinating. Yeah. Like the little logos that are on the side of it, like there's that little fox followed by a bunch of X's. Is really uh, we have some real time follow up from Excellent. friend of the show Steve Troutensmith. Hi, Steve. Grape Cal. So Grape Cal is a touch screen calibration tool, application seemingly used to calibrate the touch screen of a device. It is Why known great. to have consistently appeared on a vast majority of prototypes to these days, with huh. various different versions. Mm. However, the icon has stayed the same throughout the different firmwares and devices it's been on. Superbly so, good follow up. I think. If I'm remembering rightly, like maybe a lot of Apple's stuff is named after wine. So maybe this is related to that. I don't know. Yeah, I think they use that. I think they use that for Mac OS 10 releases. There's been a lot of wine names. This this Dongle Book Pro account has my favorite all-time Apple hardware rumor. Okay. And they have a prototype of it. The rumor was that there was going to be a Mac Mini with an iPod dock in the top of it. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, I kind of want it. This is uh, supposedly one of those things. There's an iP- first-gen iPod Nano. Steven, this is the Mac Mini DAC. This is a Mac Mini DAC. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, so here's the question. You remember back in the iPod days, you, you would get like dock inserts because the iPods would change thickness and shape and stuff? Yeah. What happens like if you have an iPod Nano and you have a Mac Mini and they fit together? And then for Christmas, you get like an iPod Photo. Do you have to replace your computer? Well, do you remember they used to ship all of those adapters? Do you remember those? Yeah, but this prototype is like custom size to the Nano. Yeah, but it, they sh- they would make adapters that go the other way. <laughs> right? So you get an, <laughs> like an adapter that fits the Nano and then it goes bigger and you can put your big iPod in it. You know, that, that style Mac Mini, if you look at this picture, the plastic top and the aluminum sides all come off as one piece. I actually use one of these in my office to hold my keys and wallet and stuff. So maybe instead of like a little iPod dock adapter, you get a whole top of the <laughs> Mac Mini and you just replace the top of your computer. That has reminded me that like does Apple used to put so much stuff in the boxes, like of iPods especially, mm-hmm. right? Like you get an iPod and it would come with like, here's your remote 
like that you can plug in, yeah. right? If you want to, and here's the twenty adapters that you might need to try and like you used to get loads of stuff because the boxes used to be huge as well, right? Like even like the iPod Nano box, if I remember right, there was like these big cubes and have two sides, right? Yeah. And you'd get all the stuff in one side, and then ah oh, man, it was so good. That was good times. I will say this ceramic Apple Watch. It has reminded me like that they've done them every two years. So two, four, and six came with ceramic. One, three, mm-hmm. five, and seven, there was no ceramic. Uh, one, sorry, one, three, and five, no. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what's, what series are we on now? What watch? It? Six. six. All right, so it was two and four that had ceramic. One. Wait, isn't no. your series five? five. A ceramic? Uh, yeah, whatever it is, they've done them a few times. You really messed right? this up. Like it, the, my point is, they skip years, right, for the ceramics. Uh, maybe it's two, four, and six have ceramics, and one, three. No, jeez. Yes, I'm losing my mind here. Nevertheless, what is stronger? So, ceramic is it stronger than titanium? Yeah, uh, <laughs> stronger, yes, but I think more brittle. Mm-hmm. Like you could shatter ceramic, but you're not going to shatter titanium. So think. it's not stronger. The and the the cover glass is the same too. Yeah. All the nice Apple watches use the the sapphire, where the aluminum watches use the ion. So between glass. ceramic and titanium, which one would survive the waterfall test? Probably titanium. Probably titanium. I don't know. So why didn't you get titanium, Stephen? Well, that's what my old watch was, and that's what I'm wearing again now. The problem wasn't the case; it was the glass. He didn't break the case. Yeah, but nevertheless, but the glass is also harder. I did have a point before my brain leaked out of my ears, uh, which yeah. is, <laughs> I love my it. white ceramic Apple Watch, and I really hope that the next Apple Watch has a ceramic option. I think I've always thought that the ceramic Apple Watches were the best looking ones, like from my personal taste, and I hope that they have another one next time. I've actually also been wearing my Apple Watch for like the last week and a half, because I'm on a bit mm. of a health and fitness kick at the moment, and it really just is so good at that like i you know i know mm-hmm. this is obviously one of the biggest selling points for these things it's so good at that kind of stuff so i've been wearing it okay i have uh i have come up with the list of ceramic apple thank watches. you okay first generation did not have one they did have gold <laughs> i had that going for it uh series one was just aluminum series two brought uh White ceramic. So that was the first one. Series three also had white ceramic or gray ceramic. Remember that one? Yeah. The gray ceramic? Mm-hmm. No. No. What, what was it? It was like shiny gray. I don't know. I never saw... I mean, I've seen a white ceramic in person. I've never seen the gray ceramic ever. Series four, no ceramic. Series five, white ceramic, but not gray. And then Series 6, the current one, no ceramic whatsoever, but it also, um, but it carries on the uh, titanium and space black, or, and the space black titanium. So, okay, they just kind of mess around at the top of the yeah. line. And sometimes there's ceramic and sometimes there's not. I hope that it does come back, but also really hope they keep the titanium because I really like the look I of it. I feel like gray ceramic is stronger than white ceramic. Just visually or structurally? Structurally, that's my oh, theory. interesting. I know nothing about science, but that's I what can I tell. Feel like, 
<laughs> I know so, nothing about minerals. Are the titanium ones addition? I think. I'm wearing mine. Let's see. Uh, Apple Watch Series 5, titanium, ceramic case, sapphire crystal. It doesn't say it on the back, but... Yes, it, they are on the website. The, in the Apple Watch edition now, it's just the titanium ones. I have it on a Nike Sport Band, so it stays humble. Right. Mm. I, what I love about the the one that I have is the uh, the white sport band that mine shipped with has a ceramic pin, like a white ceramic pin instead of the aluminium. I am titanium. That was a song, right? <laughs> oh. It was, yeah. I don't like that song very much, but... No? Why? It's fine. When I was still working my day job... Oh... Uh. Like back in the bad day job, before the marketing day job, we're talking like in the bank branches day job. Uh, the place that I liked the least of all of the places that I'd worked at, all of the branches that I'd worked at, they used to keep a like the radio station on there. It was like a not great radio station that I'm pretty sure only had like 25 songs that it played. And mm. that song used to play multiple times a day. There are many songs uh, like this. It's also, I okay. think it's Starship by Nicki Minaj, which I also have really mm. bad like... Like it just makes me feel angry when I hear it because it reminds me of a bad time in my life. So Titanium and that song by Nicki Minaj, I just have very bad reactions to them. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> I'm bulletproof, nothing to lose. <laughs> Fire away. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This episode of Connected is brought to you by Text Expander from our friends over at Smile. Text Expander removes the repetition out of work so you can focus on what matters most. Say goodbye to repetitive text entry, spelling errors, and trying to remember the right thing to say. Because when you use Text Expander, you can say the right thing in just a few keystrokes. It's better than copying and pasting from some, you know, master document you have somewhere. Better than using complicated scripts and document templates because Text Expander allows you to maximize your time by getting rid of the repetitive things you type while still customizing and personalizing your messages. And it can be used on any platform, any app, anywhere you type. So take back your time and increase your productivity with Text Expander. One of the things I use Text Expander for is when we uh, pay people, I have to fill in certain information in like the bank routing form or whatever. And so I have all of those in a drop down in Text Expander. So with a couple of letters on my keyboard, I expand the snippet, I get a little drop down menu, and I select the person. And then I can go about my day. I don't have to have a bunch of even different snippets for everybody. It's all in one. As a listener of Connected, you can get 20% off your first year by visiting textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more. That's textexpander.com slash podcast. Our thanks to Text Expander from Smile for their support of the show and Relay FM. Federico, how is the review going? Ah, it's going really well, and um, it's July. So let's see, July seventh, and I'm almost halfway through. <laughs> Which is can I? We just I did one. That's con that's fantastic. I want to just pause you there, just to in like just to really drink in that moment because I remember last year when we asked that question, your mood was yeah. very different. So I'm yes. very happy mm -hmm. for you. Yes, yes, it's um. 
I feel very good about it. I, I feel very good about writing in general this year. Uh, I mentioned this before, like I feel like this huge weight has been lifted off my brain in general. Um, and, and I just feel very inspired to, to work and write and do all kinds of work at the moment. But for the review specifically, there's a couple of things that contribute to me feeling good about this right now. Um, the, the, the style. So we... We talked about this before. The, the overall style of the review is going to be a lot different from previous years. And sort of, I see it as a, as a sort of um, being able to learn from my experiences in the past few years, take what worked, get rid of the stuff that I don't want to do anymore and the, the kind of things in the review that I feel like readers have not really been responding to. So the overall style is a lot lighter. Um, there's less philosophical sort of this meta review type discussion throughout the entire story. Uh, to give you a practical example, one of the many things that I used to do in previous years was each chapter would have its own mini conclusion, right? Like each chapter would have its own intro and its own conclusion where I would try to um, find all of these high-level concepts that belong to that chapter. And that caused me a lot of trouble because I needed to develop all these thoughts, sort of this, uh, like, oh, what does it mean? What could it be like? All of these <sighs> structures on top of the feature itself. And then when I reached the actual conclusion of the review, I would have to pull those threads in again and, and repeat myself, essentially, but finding another way to do so. I got rid of yeah. all of that. I cut all of that. So each chapter, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have a mini intro, uh, but it doesn't have this sort of philosophical conclusion anymore. I'm going straight to the point. I'm talking about features. Mm. And I'm talking about my opinions of them, how I'm using things, but more concise and more directly about the feature itself. I can imagine that that makes it, will, will make it, obviously I can't imagine you're there yet, but will make it easier to write the actual conclusion because yes. you won't feel like you're repeating yourself yep. like, or, or that you wouldn't, as you say, wouldn't have had to have forced it earlier on. That's yep. a, 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 that's a, you're, I bet you're really going to feel that as you reach towards the end. I think so. I think so. And and just in general, it's like this different mood that I have uh, right now, which in previous years, I used to overthink a lot. And I used to second guess myself a lot when I was writing the review, sort of like, oh, I'm writing this official document. It needs to be perfect. It needs to be the ultimate thing that I've ever done. Sort of like, I'm never going to publish another thing again. My life depends on this story. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm just writing what's on my mind. And I have a lot of notes, right? I have a lot of research done. I don't mean to say that I'm going to have fewer details in the review. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Um, but I'm going straight to the point and I'm going straight to talking about the features and my opinion of them. And I'm not scared to just say, here's what I think, right? Without having to justify myself with these philosophical thoughts, right? I'm just going to say, I like this for this and this reason, I don't like this because. And also, what I'm doing is I'm trying to optimize for people and what they want to see from these articles. So one of the things that I shared with you guys today um, 
I am going to rebalance my style of using footnotes in my review. It used to be that I would hide all of these interesting details, like these hidden features, these tips and tricks, right, in footnotes within the story. And over the years, I noticed, you know, I put a lot of thought and care into these footnotes and people don't notice them. Mm -hmm. People don't find these details that I'm referring to. And so this year, every chapter is going to have, right before the end, a mini section called The Details, where I'm just listing all of the hidden features up front with screenshots, and I'm just going to say, here's the features you might, you might miss uh, for, I don't know, shortcuts or focus mm -hmm. or whatever. And I'm just going to put that right there on the page without having to use footnotes. That will be a really helpful resource, I think, yes. for, for checking stuff out later on. That's really good. I think so. And also because it's going to be linkable, right? So you can link directly to that mini section. And lastly, I think what's also helping me right now is the different setup that I have. So the different workflow that I have. We talked about Obsidian before. Um, and I'm going to say a few things about that in a, in a few minutes. But one thing that I have not done this year, and for context, I need to say like a disclaimer, Sylvia was right. She's been telling me to do this for the past few years. And I finally listened to her and she had a really good point here. Now, this may, be, this may come as a shock. I did not make a mind map of the review this year. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so my entire setup this year is based on notes and Obsidian. Um, I have been I have two different kinds of notes, I would say. The things that I personally discover, right? Um, thoughts that I have, features that I come across, opinions, all kinds of things. I save in Obsidian and then I organize in each chapter. I just move text around and I save these things in a chapter at the bottom of the page because I'm a sort of a note at the bottom of the page person so that when I start working on a chapter, it's basically already like an outline waiting for me. Mm -hmm. um, and also I have notes from WWDC sessions. And those notes, uh, I have one note for each session and each session is linked to the, it's called, there's like a line of text that says related review chapter. And there's a link to that chapter. So that when I open the chapter that I'm working on, like for example, yesterday, I was working on the design chapter. When I open that in Obsidian, all I need to do is show the backlinks sidebar. And in the sidebar, I see all of the session notes that link to the design chapter. So that I have a reference right there for all the design-related features that I want to cover. And by doing this, I find that I keep all these notes in a much better context because of the links that, you know, they, they point me to the specific chapter of the review. But also, I did not waste a week essentially cutting and pasting my notes from a note-taking app into the mind map, which was essentially doing the work twice just to give it this visual structure that I thought was essential for me. And turns out it's not. I can just work with notes and I can just work with Obsidian thanks to backlinks, which I, you know, maybe I could have done this before. Maybe I, maybe not though, because Obsidian was not around. 
I simplified my workflow for my workflow for this, and obviously, what's also helping me, helping me right now is the plugin system, like the the custom plugins that uh, Finn Voorhees made for me, especially two of them. First, one true son. The one true son. The first one is the custom uh, Markdown compile uh, plugin that we have, and now. Again, we're probably going to share this eventually. Right now, this is very specific to Mac Stories and very specific to me. But it's a plugin that gives me a single command that takes my table of contents and exports a markdown version of it that does a lot of Mac Stories-specific things. Like, for example, it puts in page breaks between each chapter automatically. It uses the right um, indentation for uh, section headers. All that kind of stuff, it does it for me automatically. So it also, mean, also means it's less error-prone because I'm not doing that stuff manually. And the second plugin, which we talked, bef uh, we talked about before, is the Todoist plugin. So that I'm able to leave little tasks for me inside the review. And those, uh, those are lines of text, basically. But they are linked to Todoist. And in Todoist, they are linked to Obsidian. So that I can tap a link and it takes me to my text editor and in my text editor, I can tap a link and it takes me to Todoist. And uh, that's really helping me structure these tasks so that, for example, I have writing tasks. Like, this thing is not finished. I'm going to make a task for myself that I need to write about it eventually. Or, this is a bug. And so I have these tasks that have a specific issues tag, and those go into... Uh, issues section in Todoist. And I'm doing the same for screenshots and videos that I want to do. So um, this entire setup, I feel like it's a lot more customized for me. And I was also able to remove the overhead of the mind map and cutting and pasting those notes. It was like a bunch of extra work that I was doing. And now instead, what I'm doing is just, I'm going to sit down and write and and it's going really well. And I'm, I'm going to be done with chapter four of nine tomorrow, which means tomorrow I start working on chapter five. And, uh, and I'm halfway done with it. Yeah. That's awesome. That is fantastic. I'm curious, what was Sylvia's insight into no mind map? Because obviously yeah. you thought they were important. You've been doing them for years and it seemed like a huge part of the process. So I'm curious to know what her insight was that you couldn't say and then why she was right. She's been telling me ever since we were in high school that, so for context, that would mean for uh, 14 years, that all those mind maps that I was doing, including in, uh, when I was at school, were useless because I was just making something visually pretty that was nice to look at but had no real practical application. And I told her, no, 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 these are essential for me because this is how my brain likes to look at these things. And she was like, I think you're just doing the work twice because if you already have some notes, why do you feel like you need to turn those notes into another type of notes <laughs> and i was like no you don't understand these are different because they're they are a, on a mind map <laughs> and uh she she had a point which makes me realize how much time have i was i don't want to think about that so she was right obsidian did not exist before so that's my excuse for now because i've always felt for you that the the visual part helped you at least with some structure but i guess now obsidian just does it automatically 
right? Because you can see that kind of yeah. structured view out of everything. Yeah, and, and what's really helpful is really being able to create these relationships between yeah. the notes, so the research, yeah. and, and the actual chapter. So that when I'm in the chapter, I see, oh, I actually left a note in these research notes that I had about this particular feature, right? So, for example, mm -hmm. in, the, in, in, in a note for a session from WWDC, it links to the design chapter. But toward the bottom of the note, there's a feature. And in that line of text, I wrote, um, this belongs to the iPadOS chapter. And that iPadOS word is a link to my actual iPadOS chapter of the review. So I can have all these links going back and forth between my research and my writing. And so I don't need to see the map visually as a, as a tree, right, of all these notes and thoughts. Everything lives together in my text editor, which basically does double the work as holding the research material, but also being the place where I write. Okay, that seems like it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, for one, have never been a big mind mapper, and I know a lot of people are, but really for the reason that Sylvia had, is that for me, it always felt like just another layer of work, and I could do that structuring just in the document as I went, or across multiple documents, and then stitch them together. So I think she was right on, and it, I'm glad that it seems to have boosted your efficiency and not slowed you down, right? Because I guess there was a world where you could have decided not to do the mind map and then like really struggled with how to put it together. But it sounds like that's not the case at all. Yeah. Or that there would have needed to be an adjustment period, but you don't need that adjustment period because it just so happens that the text tool that you use allows you to keep at least some of the basic structure of what a yeah. mind map would have been. Yeah. And it's very just cool. really, it's just very fast how mm. you can open multiple panes for different notes, how you can uh, just hit Command-O and you jump to another file. It's just very, like, this is the kind of app that, that was made for this kind of writing task, this kind of writing project, right? You have these massive essays that you're putting together and you have research split across multiple notes and you want to create links and you want to jump between them and you want to open multiple documents at the, same at the same time. It's perfect for that. Very, very cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll see how it goes in the second half, but um, I'm optimistic so far, and <laughs> I'm trying. Have you left the harder chapters? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> actually, design. Like, the, I was really concerned with the design one because that's the that's the difficult one for me. iPad shortcuts and apps; those are the easy ones. So I'm shooting for being done, if possible, by the end of July, um, uh -huh. which would be incredible. Like being done in two months. That would be fantastic. So we'll see. Just to clarify, though, done is not done, right? Because stuff's done still changing. Writing. Editing, yeah. Well, sure, sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but done the, with the writing. The big bulk of stuff is taken care of by that point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Let's take our last break, and then there's a a mystery Federico topic yeah. we have to deal with. <laughs> It's not a mystery for you. I, well, no, but I woke up this morning and the first thing I saw in iMessage was Mike uh, having a surprise reaction after you wrote, I put some stuff in the notes for y'all. I was like, oh, this is going to be good. Mm -hmm. And it is. And we'll get there in a second because this episode of Connected is brought to you by Hello. 
Hello make incredibly comfortable buckwheat pillows. They're really different from your regular fluffy pillows. They stay cool and dry compared to things with feather and foam. They support your head and neck. They don't collapse under the weight of your head like traditional pillows. And what may be my favorite part, they breathe better so they don't get all like warm and humid so you don't have to flip over to the cool side of the pillow. It's always cool. You can add or remove filling to suit your needs so your pillow can be just the way that you like it. People have been sleeping on buckwheat pillows for years. They're very popular in Japan and appear on pillow menus at fancy hotels. Mike, do you have a Hello Pillow you could tell us about? I have been sleeping on my Hello Pillow for multiple years, uh, and I absolutely adore it. It gives me the support that I want, which is super important to me. Now, if I ever am in a situation where I don't sleep on my Hello Pillow, like maybe I'm staying somewhere else, yeah, I just find it incredibly uncomfortable now. I love that I have one pillow. It's the right thickness that I want, and that thickness doesn't change, as well as remaining nice and cool because it breathes. It, like, you know, you get air that flows through it. Very, very great. I love it. Wouldn't change it for the world. It's your one true pillow. My one true pillow. Hello is made in the US of A with quality construction and materials. The certified organic cotton case is cut and sewn for durability, and the buckwheat is grown and milled here in the United States. So here's the deal. If you're curious to try one of these out, you can. You can sleep on it for 60 nights, and if it's not for you, you can send it back for a refund. Head on over to holopillow.com connected right now for your own buckwheat pillow. And if you buy more than one, they have a special discount for up to $20 off depending on the size you're looking at. They have fast free shipping with every order, and 1% of all profits are donated to the Nature Conservancy. So give Hello a try. If you love it, you keep it, and if you don't, you can send it back. Head on over to Hello Pillow. That's H-U-L-L-O-P-I-L-L-O-W, hellopillow.com slash connected right now. Our thanks to Hello for their support of the show and Relay FM. Uh, I'm just going to rip the Band-Aid off, I think. Um, I'm back on Apple Music. <laughs> now the context. Okay. So I said this months ago at the beginning of this experiment with Spotify, I am going to try a new Spotify for a year, but, mm-hmm. and we can go back and find where I actually say this, I purchased credit for a Spotify premium account until June, so for six months. And then at the six-month mark, I can reevaluate if I want to continue this experiment or uh, if I want to go back to Apple Music. And my premium subscription was up as of a few weeks ago, and I made the decision to return to Apple Music. Now, there's a a few things I want to say, and I I should say up front, I'm really happy I did this because this, this whole experiment, it gave me a lot more knowledge about where Spotify is today, what it does well, what it doesn't do so well, and how it compares to Apple Music. So I would say there there were four key factors that brought me back to Apple Music. The most important one by far is the real-time lyrics, being able to follow along to the lyrics of, of a song when I'm listening. Second one is the recent launch of Lossless Playback. Now, this is important for me because I used to, I mentioned this before, I used to have like a, like a secondary streaming service where I use a DAC with my phone and my wired headphones to evaluate lossless albums before I purchase them for my proper offline music library. 
with Apple Music, I can just do it all in one service. It can be my casual service for when I'm listening to music using AirPods or my iPhone speakers, whatever. And it can also be my lossless service when I want to plug in a, an external USB DAC and listen via my wired headphones. Third reason, being able to share songs with other Apple Music users, especially, I would say, Sylvia and you guys, um, uh, and John as well. We share a lot of music links and I was the odd one out using using Spotify. So I would say peer pressure maybe um, was also a contributing factor. Reverse yes. peer pressure. No one was... You felt bad yeah. about sending the links rather than people saying, what are you sending those links for? And the fourth factor is the integration with third-party apps on iOS and shortcuts. Um, there's all kinds of utilities that are Apple Music only on iOS, uh, such as the excellent Music Smart, for example, which is this uh, extension that you can use in Apple Music to view the credits, like in-depth credits for each song. Like, who's the um, mixing engineer who's playing the, uh, the, you know, who's playing the cello in the background, like uh, that kind of stuff that I really care about. And obviously shortcuts, right? Shortcuts is deeply integrated with music. My own music bot shortcut is Apple Music only because it's not possible to make that kind of shortcut on iOS and iPadOS for Spotify. Now, these were the four, uh, I would say, major factors that made me reevaluate Apple Music. And after six months, I would say I was especially missing real-time lyrics, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a lyrics person. I like to know what I'm listening to. I like to read lyrics. I like to understand the songs. Spotify has promised real-time lyrics for a long time, just like they promised um, Spotify Hi-Fi, their uh, lossless tier coming at some point. Huh. But it's been a few months and neither of those features have launched yet. And once again, I needed to make a decision because my six months were up. Now, um, I do miss Spotify. There's a few things that I want to call out about Spotify. I think Spotify does a, does a much better job than Apple Music at making it easy for you to start listening to something with very little friction in the homepage of the Spotify app. You have this incredible mix of recent activity, suggestions, new releases. I prefer the way that it's laid out on screen. I think it takes better, the better advantage of, the, uh, of a large iPhone's display. And I love how you can see this timeline of all the things you've recently played over the past three months. Like literally every single song or EP or album or playlist you've listened to. It's incredibly well done. I also miss Spotify's search. I don't know why, I don't know how, but Spotify's search is so much faster than Apple Music, it's kind of ridiculous. Like, as you type, you get results. In Apple right, Music, okay. sometimes you get results as you type, but not all the time. Most of the time, you got to press search. It just it feels faster in Spotify. And once again, that reduces the friction, right? You can just search and click listen, and you're done. And then I would say Spotify because of their approach to data collection or the algorithms that they have, whatever it is, but the suggestions from Spotify, the intelligent recommend recommendations are so much more accurate and timely than Apple Music. Hmm. Sometimes it's kind of eerie, actually. Like, I would open Music Harbor, right, which is an excellent um, utility to track new music releases. And I would see, oh, there's a new song from this artist. 
And then I would open Spotify. And that song was already on the front page for me. I was like, yeah, well, Spotify, you do know me. <laughs> and it was kind of incredible. And this happened every single Friday when new mm. music comes out. And also, the both Spotify and Apple Music now have a made-for-you hub. In Apple Music, it's a um, page that collects the four, five... Uh, playlists that Apple Music makes for you, like the favorites mix, the new music, new music mix, all that kind of stuff. In Spotify, it's this entire gallery of Discover Weekly, Release Radar, and this daily mixes that are just incredible. They have mixes for specific decades that you can listen to. They have artist mixes. They have uh, mixes based on your current mood. There's all kinds of intelligent suggestions there that, once again, they are personalized for me and they just cut the friction. Like, you just open, you want to listen to something, and you're done. It's right there. So I feel like Apple Music, in terms of intelligence, is way beyond Spotify at the moment, especially for new releases. So this is the sort of the, uh, I would say, the high-level overview between the two. Um, obviously, the big advantage of Apple Music, of the Music app, is that it's native to Apple platforms. And so you get those nice features, like the Siri integration is nicer. Uh, Shortcuts integration is great. It uses native UI elements, right? So that when I'm using Apple Music and I long press, I get the same context menu that I get in Files or Safari, um, which in iPadOS 15, it can also be navigated with the keyboard. So it's got excellent keyboard integration. It uses a native sidebar. So all this native UI, like it feels more native to the platform, which is not a surprise. It's made by Apple. Mm -hmm. Spatial audio, I want to mention. Um, I tried to give spatial audio a good try. As of a few days ago, I permanently disabled spatial audio in settings. Purist. I can... Uh, yeah, I cannot live with the knowledge that what I'm listening to is an altered version of the original <laughs> authentic song. And <laughs> man, stuff sounds weird, all right? It just sounds different and, and muffled, and I don't care about it. Too many songs are weird. It makes me... I, I read an interview... Recently, I think it was some somewhere on Chorus FM, really excellent music website, saying how, oh yeah, um, Jason from Chorus FM interviewed, um, what's his name? The, sing the former singer of Yellow Card. And Jason asked about, uh, what's his name? William Ryan Key, I think. Um, so Jason asked, uh, are you aware that some of the Yellow Card songs are in spatial audio on, on Apple Music? And he said, yeah, we had, no idea about that because we didn't mix those songs and the idea that the artist is not aware of stuff being done like this magical software being sprinkled on top of their songs it makes me uncomfortable i just want to listen to the original song as the artist knows it as the artist intended the song to sound like so special audio i i feel like right now it's a gimmick and i disabled the feature, um, I'm, once again, I'm super happy I did this. I feel like I have a much better understanding of Spotify and the different places that Spotify and Apple Music are at at the moment. I miss Spotify. And if, if they add lyrics 
and a high resolution tier for lossless uh, playback, I may reconsider. But I feel like despite the things that I like about Spotify, the features that I got from Apple Music right now are more important. And so that's why I'm using Apple Music again. Also, it's good, it's good for me because I'm not paying for two music streaming services anymore. Actually, I'm not paying for three music streaming services anymore because I was using Apple Music, <laughs> Spotify, and Amazon. Now it's down to just one. I kind of assumed this was going to happen when the lossless stuff showed up in Apple Music. So yeah. I'm glad it meets your high standards. Uh, the music app could be a lot better. <laughs> But uh, yeah, uh, I'm curious to see. I was kind of hoping to get a redesign of the Listen Now page in in the music app this year. I fundamentally dislike that design. I wrote about this last year, that those giant tiles at the top of the page, I I really don't like them. And uh, I miss the design and, and the speed of the Spotify homepage and Spotify search. But I'm also really happy that now I'm using a single service that gives me both the casual sort of I'm wearing my AirPods Pro and I just want to listen to something, but also gives me the, oh, I can plug in my DAC and I can listen to lossless music experience at the same time. What if they had redesigned that with tabs and the background color picked up a color from the album you were listening to? It doesn't doesn't do that. Oh, that's it. But it could. So safari, safari joke. Oh, it's, safari a it's a joke. It's a joke. All right. Yeah. No, please. Please don't do that. Oh, my God. Why did you mention that? <laughs> so Apple Music. Yay. All right. Uh, anything else, guys? Don't think so. No. Don't think so either. If you want to find links to stuff we spoke about, head on over to the website, relay.fm slash connected slash 353 while you're there you can get in touch via email with feedback or follow-up when you're on the relay website check out focused it's another podcast here on the network if you're struggling with focus you're not alone with all the distractions we have it seems like a superpower but david and mike could show you how to do it go to relay.fm slash focused or search for focused wherever you get your podcasts you can find all of us online you can find Federico on Twitter at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. He's the editor-in-chief of MacStories.net. You can find Mike online as well, I-M-Y-K-E, and Mike builds keyboards on a lot of Fridays over at Mike.live. You're live this Friday, right? Yep, I sure am. Uh, not sure what I'm going to be doing yet, but it will be a fun time. Have by all. You can find me on Twitter as ISMH and my writing over at 512pixels.net. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week, Squarespace, Smile, and Hello. And until next time, gentlemen, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Cheerio. Bye, y'all.